Um, good evening. Um, am I coming out okay? Okay. Um, Pastor Jason just told me that he put a table here for me just for the water. So yesterday, for some, some reason yesterday, I found myself so like drying up in my mouth. So I was like, I never really did it before, but for, for the first time, I preached with the bottle in my hand the whole time. Right? Um, it was for the first time I was like that dry in my mouth. But thank you for the table. Uh, and thank you for inviting me once again to share some of the things that God has been sharing, uh, really teaching me and inspiring me in my heart. Uh, we're kind of going on to the series of teaching or series of studies of a missional life. Um, and we're doing the second session. It could be rather, um, challenging, much more challenging in more realistic way, in, in a way that could be more felt, uh, than how, how we have, um, covered the text a lot yesterday. Um, so kind of bear with me, um, and try to stay awake. Uh, I know we just had a dinner. You guys probably have some food coma coming at you. So try to stay awake for this, right? The text today is Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 to 30. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 to 30. And this is what it says. It says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father. For such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is the word of the Lord. Um, I'm all about healthy church. I'm all about being a part of a healthy church. I'm all about developing a healthy church. I'm all about preaching about the healthy church. Um, so since I was a, 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 just a lay leader of a church member, um, I always wanted to be in a healthy church. Um, in, during my college years, there was a time when I jumped from um, participating in the KM, first generation KM, Korean speaking, to the English speaking ministry. So in my sophomore years in college, that's when I was first introduced to the second gen uh, ministry. And then ever since then, I stayed with the EM. Um, but then my very first mentor and very first, our leader, um, he wasn't a pastor. He was actually a, a, a medical school student. Um, it's amazing. I've met many medical school students before, but I've never seen one um, who would take on a entire English ministry ministry for himself. And that he would speak every Saturday night. And then every Sunday, he will do a three to four hours of, 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 of theological teaching session. Um, one thing that, 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 that the reason that makes what he did such an amazing thing is that um, I've seen so many people go through the medical school, but well, one thing that they have is that they don't have time. Time is such a precious thing for them because you, you just got to invest all the time that you have 
to be able to just pass each year, right? But then on the second year, which was supposed to be the hardest year for his, his four years of medical school, that's when he joined us and he became a mentor for us. And, and during that time, um, it was just him leading us and just some of us who are just the members of the church. But he's, he's staying with us and doing the ministry for about three years with us was the most precious time in my life as far as experiencing a healthy church dynamic. But ever since I became a pastor, um, that became my number one question for myself to constantly try to seek what it means to have or what it means to be a healthy church. And you will learn in your seminary, in your seminary, and you will learn in your, uh, in your, in your, um, churches what to do to do a effective, sometimes even vibrant ministry that attracts people. You will learn what type of ministries are Bible instructed or God honoring ministries. But there's a little that we discuss and we, there's a little really what we know of a, what really is healthy church. And I, I, longer I kind of try to chew on it and find an answer, I kind of juggled with it, chewed on it, wrestled with it. And this is my 11th year going into ministry, pastoral ministry, and I still don't have an answer. I feel like it'll be my rest of my lifelong wrestling and then struggle to try to figure out what it means to have a healthy church. Uh, when I try to think that if I find out a certain thing that so this could be a healthy church model, and then I quickly find out there's more than that. Something else that I thought was as a, a bottom line or, the, or the, the, the formula to have a healthy church, and I over time learned that that just wasn't right. Um, so it is something I think we just have to constantly, if you're a believer, if you're a leader of a church, we constantly have to chew on it, wrestle with it, ask God with it, run into different problems and hardships. And you try to figure out what it means to be a healthy church. And the answer, I think, can differ um, by every individual and by every church. But there was a common theme that was taught to me by like so many of my professors and some of the pastors that I respected, that they all agreed with the fact that in modern-day church, at least in America, uh, we're all kind of struggling with this one phenomenon. And they, they called it consumer attitude, attitude of the believers today. Right? And when I first heard it, I was like, what do you mean by consumer attitude? Right? And here's what it means. What they're basically saying is that in today's churches, uh, we're focusing so much on how the church should professionally and efficiently and effectively serve the people that are coming through the door of the church, that the members and the visitors of the church, their expectation to coming to the church is that they are supposed to be served by the church, and I go to church, and I give money to the church, I get up early in the morning, and I devote my time to come out to the church, so the church in every corner has to give me everything I want. There has to be a great preaching of a sermon that really like helps them feel like they're learning and that they're actually growing. They're there. They have to be challenged. But at the same time, the, the, the pastor has to be such a great speaker to a point he said entertaining too. 
If they're walking in the door, they better see so many people lined up to say, hi, hello, what can I do for you? Would you like some coffee? Can I bring you something and guide you to the thing? They're expecting that to a point where church exists to serve me. I've even met many people who actually would even say this. They were at one point, the, the brothers younger that I really looked up to at a certain point, and as we got older, maybe it's just we got older, we may just think like that now, but then I've heard several of them telling me that, you know, if I'm paying, giving that much money to the church, you know, they should do a better job in this and that and that. That's the consumer attitude of the believers today. If I'm my, devoting my time, my effort, my energy, energy, and my financial resources to the church, church better serve me. I'm entitled to that. But if you actually look into how the church was developed and what, what, what the church was created for, that's not that what the, the church is all about. Actually, it's not what the church is about at all. They're right in a sense that church is a place where people have to love each other, yes. And church is a place where we all have to serve one another, yes. Church is a place where we should be able to feel like we're being loved and cared for, yes. But what they're forgetting is that the entity, the ones who are called to actually do that portion of loving and caring, are every individual person who comes to the church. We are called to love. We are called to care. One of the major things that the thing that we're actually kind of forgetting about the actual definition of a church is that church actually is an action entity. Church is not a place where we come to try to feed our mind and make us be satisfied because we just learn a little bit more about the, the theological aspect of God and biblical aspect of God, and that we gain more knowledge about God. If the knowledge, amount of knowledge we gathered and gained about the Bible and God becomes the measurement of our spiritual maturity, Satan beats us by far. There's none of us here who can beat him. He knows the Bible like back of his hand. He knows God personally. He communicates with him. If you look at the book of Job, he will go up and down and he will talk to God. He sees what's going on in heaven. Hands down, he'll beat any of us. He's, he's supposed to be more mature Christian than all of us. But the thing is, he is not. So the church, when God called us into the church, God did not call us into the church so that we just know and gain knowledge about God. It is a part of a reason for church's existence. I don't deny that. We come together to actually learn more about God. We come here to actually worship God together, yes. But church is the body of Christ. Body is called to act. There is something that we are called to do other than just sitting and listening and knowing and receiving and being fed. 
Because oftentimes, I, I witnessed, and I was one of them myself for the longest amount of time. Uh, when I actually found out that I was, man, I was so wicked. That, that it was just like me breaking down moment of where my desire was one to just, I wanted to know more about theology. I wanted to know more about the Bible. I wanted to know more about God. And, and the, the main purpose of me wanting to know is so that I can talk to other people about it. And I actually thought, deep in my heart, that I actually was spiritually growing. But God's calling for us is not that. Church exists to carry on His calling. In order for us to mature in Christ, mature in our faith, there are two things that need to happen. One thing is that we need to learn and study the living Word of God. The word worship is to know. When you know God, you learn to glorify God. The reason we worship God is not our proactive action of wanting to come and do something to give God a glory or do an action that God takes it as, okay, that was a good, you know, an act that kind of I'm being glorified. I'm kind of be honored with what you just said. Not that. The actual worship is us encountering God as who he is realizing we are so far away from God and understanding who God is that humbles us. If you look in the Bible, anybody and everybody who actually encounters God face to face or God's angel, the messenger face to face, immediate response for them is to kneel down face down. No one tells them to do it. You know, in, in the Middle Eastern world, they're, they're accustomed to, to greeting one another is not bowing like ours. So the fact that they're bowing their head to the ground, kneeling down to the ground, shows the greatness of the, the level of the, the honor that they want to show God. As a matter of fact, they often did it because they were scared. At the gap between our wickedness and God's greatness, once you encounter that, they can but to fall down and head down and be humble. That's the definition of worship. Knowing God. But in, in today's world, I shared a little bit about it. I can encounter so many. I was there myself. I think I still do that every now and then. Where we somehow think that amount of knowledge that we gain, the intelligence that we gain about a certain thing, translates into a amount of productivity, like, you know, level of productivity that I just gained. I became just more productive. I just became someone who actually has become more meaningful and more and more, I guess, advanced because I just gained more knowledge. And it kind of bleeds into how we develop our faithfulness, how we, how we develop our maturity in Christ. We somehow think that, that just knowledge is all we need. But it's not that. What we're missing is that God calls us into his ministry so we can experience I often call like just wanting to know where I was. You know, I just get fed and fed and fed and that's where I really thrive like spiritually in my faith. And I used to call that a spiritual buffet line. I eat and eat and eat and I don't ever exercise. And eventually I get sick, right? 
spiritually, spiritually, you do that too. You just study and study and study and feed your mind and feed your mind and feed your mind. And eventually you get sick with what we call pride. So God invites us to the place where he is in the, in the motion, where he acts the most, where he's the most available for us to meet and encounter and experience, which is his ministry. Let's not fool ourselves. God doesn't need us to worship him. He's, he's fine by himself. He's fully content. He doesn't need extra glory on top of the glory that he already has to actually feel more glorified. When God calls us to his glory, when God calls us to his ministry, it's for the benefit of us. It's so that we experience the faith that we learn. We get humbled in the middle of joining in where God is most active where we are reminded of how awesome God is, we get refreshed with our relationship with the Lord, and we pri- learn to prioritize and reprioritize what God desires from us in the action of God. What better place but God's ministry itself can we experience more of Him? And when these two are well balanced, that's where the healthy church exists. And I believe in today's text, it has a a well balanced teaching of these two methods. Like what I talked about yesterday, in order for us to have a mission of life, you need to have an overflowing joy in just relationship with the Lord. Having Jesus in your life should be enough, more than enough for you to actually have the overflowing joy and contentment and peace in your life. And that's where we all should begin. If you are spiritually drained, your relationship is at a terrible place with the Lord, when you just have a really hard time going through day in and day out, just to spend some time with the Lord, or you just go days after days, or weeks after weeks, without encountering or trying to spend some time with the Lord, when you find yourself okay, without having God in your life, without being reminded of God's goodness and, and His, 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 uh, His, His greatness in our lives, without being humbled by His Word, then that's not the right place for you to jump in on serving God. But when you have that, once you have your relationship right with the Lord, when you restore your joy in the Lord first, then the next step for you is to join God's ministry. The mission of life is a life where that fulfillment or overflowing joy in the peace and contentment in Christ becomes your life's main energy and main source of strength, and then you take that to your personal lives, in your jobs, at your home, and everything else, and you bleed out that blessing for others. 
when you actually leave this church, there, this is tradition where uh, Summit Church with J.D. Greer, Pastor J.D. Greer said that um, he, he commissions everybody out at the very end of the service. And my current um, ascending church, they, we do the same thing. And they, at the end of the, very, uh, the, the service, the, the pastor or the leader will say that you are sent. Um, and I think it was, for me, it was one of the most powerful, um, benediction that I've ever heard in any church. Um, I had that done when I was in summit. Now I'm, I get that every Sunday. Um, and what it means is that this is your safe haven, your church. You are here to be fed. You are here to be nurtured. You're here to encounter God in a closer proximity than your personal life. You're here where you can open up yourself and share each other's life. But then when you leave the church, you're being sent out to your mission field, which is your work, your school, your family, your social gathering, all of it. We are called to be the follower of Christ. We are supposed to be the salt and the light wherever they were sent, right? In, in a family dynamic, right? It's, it's really difficult to be always loving and caring. It's always so difficult to be a good husband all the time. It's so difficult to be a good husband and wives all the time. I think it's harder to even be a good, good son and the, the child all the time in the family. Um, it's really difficult to be a good sibling, your brother and sister all the time. Um, but you know, even your home, God calls you to call it your mission. The reason we love our brothers and sisters and our, our, our wives and, and husband is because we're called to do that. God told us to do that. We are the ones who are called to show God's goodness to, to everybody that we encounter beginning with the ones that are closest to us, to the ones that you just run into in the street. So Jesus, in the first half of the text that we read today, he kind of sets this up, kind of sets up the whole tone of what he wants to talk about as far as in the next step of our mission of life that's supposed to take a place. And he, he, he kind of sets us a, a point of where this is how, what I want you to be before you take the next step, which is in verse 20, uh, 25, where it says, Jesus says, you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Then the wise and understanding, Jesus is saying here, is not really the ones who are more intellectually, you know, advanced than others, who are smarter. That's not who he's talking about. He's actually talking about the people that are prideful. People that are too wise for themselves, that are too smart for themselves to accept anything and everything else outside of their thinking, outside of their thoughts. Outside of their thinking um, ability, so when and when the gospel is given to them, their logics and their thoughts and desire, their desires and what they're taught up to that moment of their lives does not allow them to actually accept what is being taught. 
or more than sharing. I'm too good for that. Is the wise and the understanding of the world. And in order for them to actually obey, accept and obey something that is outside of themselves, now that's even harder. They have a problem with that. Because people have a natural, sinful tendency of wanting to be their own God. The resistance of people of not really accepting God is not that they have a problem with God, but they have a problem with letting go of their own God today, which is me. You know, it actually exists in, in, in Christian churches today or Christian circles today too. When I speak with different people, um, there are a lot of people who will say something like, uh, Bible is, is, you can translate it differently depending on your life circumstances. Some people will say that, you know, because I go through certain things in my life and all this Bible scripture that I'm reading right now must interpret this way. There are people who will try to read the Bible by little sections and they try to translate it in the way that they want to to hear from the Word. Rather than trying to dig into the Word and try to find out what the Bible is actually trying to teach them. We kind of, we call them the world of like liberal theology, right? And it kind of happens a lot in the liberal theology. It just means that you can kind of turn and twist your, your Bible the Bible can, can actually interpret in many different ways, um, depends on who's reading it and what kind of background that you're looking at. All kinds of different, different interpretation can come out of the Bible, the biblical truth. So you basically kind of want to be the person who says what's right for you that could be different than what the Bible says. But Jesus repeats it in, the, in Matthew 18, verse 1 through 5 too. But then, that's why Jesus is calling it, hey, in order for you to be able to accept and take what I'm about to teach you, that you have to have a childlike faith. Which means that you have to be readily accepting it. Whether you really agree with it, or you understand it or not, you have to be willing to accept it. Well, I, you know, before I taught martial arts for many years, um, and even then, like I didn't really get it fully. But when I had my own son, um, as he was his growing up, he will ask me some like some out of the blue questions, right? Things like we would drive by, I'll try to take him to school, and then. They look at the sun and they say, "Hey, Dad, is 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 God behind that sun? Is is he really there? Um, where where does God leave? Where things like what what happens like when because our dog died, like when someone died, and no matter what I tell him, he will say, "Oh," and then he'll just accept it." 
then I learned that I could literally like really lie to him. Like really just like say something really random and he will accept it as it. He won't question it. He just won't. Childlike faith. He's basically saying, hey, in order for you to kind of take this teaching that I'm about to teach you, you need that. So he's setting up the tone. And on top of that, he will say, you know, only God knows me. Only I know God. The ones who I, you know, only the ones that I want to reveal who God is, is the one who will understand God because I reveal it to him. And he will kind of feel the credibility of what I'm about to tell you is truth. What I know is given from God. So what I tell you now is from God, God telling you. He's building up that. And then you have to just accept it whether you believe it or not, or whether you agree with it or not, whether you can understand it or not, you should take it. Right? And then in verse 28, he jumps on to what he wants to say. He says, the ones who have already accepted it, right? Because in, in verse 27, he ends it by, no one knows father except the son and anyone who knew, anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Meaning, since I revealed who God is to you, now he's saying, come to me. And when Jesus says, come, you should not take it lightly. So when he says, come, he's literally inviting you to take on the life of Jesus Christ. And he's literally inviting you to actually alter everything about your life to not follow Christ. And when he says that, there's really no ends and buts about it. Right? The only, the only person that I can think of who said no to that is the rich young ruler I told you about yesterday. I think he's the only one who said no. But he says, those of you who have known God by now, those of you who claimed yourself to be saved by Lord Jesus Christ, come to me. And then he says the following. He says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Up to here, I have no problem. It's, it's, you know, what a, what a comforting word, word he's saying. He's saying, all you who are labor and heavy laden, with all your life's weight on your shoulder, I know that you're going through some rough time and hard time, and life is really difficult, but come to me. And he says, I will give you rest. As a matter of fact, theologically speaking, when he said labor and heavy laden, he's actually not talking about, you know, our normal life's heaviness, you know, the workload that we have, all the troubles and problems of our life. He's actually talking about the religious leaders' false teaching of people where they made it extremely hard to become a religiously right people. They made it extremely hard for the people to become a good Christian. There's a list of law that is so long for people to follow. It's basically impossible to meet all that. So for the people back then who wanted to follow God, 
They thought that it was the spiritual leaders of that time, the religious leaders of that time, who knows the way to really follow the God, right? And they try to follow their leaders. And more and more they try to follow their religious leader, they find it laboring and heavy laden. That's what he meant. When Jesus said this, those of you who are just bombarded and heavy with all this burden that your religious leaders are teaching you to obtain your religious or your, your eternal life, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Come to me with that. And despite all your the, the, the heaviness of your weight you have on your shoulder, to gain your eternal life in heaven, in that I'll give you rest. That's what he's actually saying. But since we do not have that law that we're trying to live by like they did, I think we can, it's fair for us to think that whatever is actually holding us back in living our lives that is really glorifying to God, living the life that is really honoring God, living our lives in the way that it is what the Christian life should be in the eyes of God, anything and everything that holds us back from it, should count. And oftentimes your job counts. Your studies count. Oftentimes some troubles in your relationships count. Sometimes financial burden counts. Um, you know, when I met with Pastor Jason, I think it was this week, right? Uh, we talked about how housing prices going crazy, and and actually before I came, I looked up the housing price when I was still in Virginia, and the housing price was very like affordable. And then it took me a couple of years to come down. And when we first came down last year, and I looked up the price, um, compared to what it was like about a year and a half or two years before that, they jumped up at least by like hundred thousand dollars. And it's much higher today, right? Financial burden is heavy. And him and I talked about like, how can we ever afford a good house? I was talking about the possibility of moving a house. How, how is it doable now? Even, I think sometimes that. I don't, I don't know what you're struggling with in your life. But whatever is holding you back, from really, really maturing and developing your more intimacy with the Lord, being able to spend more devoted time with the Lord, whatever that may be, you're heavy laden, your weight of life. Jesus is saying, come. Come as you are. Whatever is holding you back. The sins you're struggling with, just come to me. The troubles you have come to me. Bring it with me. And then he says, and I'll give you rest. In Jesus, he said he will give you rest. How comforting is that? How encouraging is that? But then the beginning of right next verse is when I start struggling. In verse 29, he begins with this. He says, Take my yoke upon you. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. 
What? You just said that you will give me rest, right? And then now you're telling me that I should take your yoke. Yoke, by the way, guys, is that that the wooden thing that you that the cows hold on their shoulder to carry like a heavy stuff, or when they grow, like break the ground when they do the farming. It's the very heavy stuff that you put on to do some heavy work. The last time I checked, to follow Jesus, to do the things that Jesus wants me to us to do in the way that he wants us to do it, you have to really, really, really be ready for it because it's quite challenging. Whether becoming a pastor, one of the hardest decisions I had to, to make in my life, if not the most hardest, the, 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 the question that, the calling that I had to answer too, and I think most of the pastors would agree that because living a life of a pastor, that actually reminds me, you know, more, the, more than the pastor himself, um, the biggest calling that God gives to someone is, is the pastor's wife. Someone seems to have it much harder. But when God told me to do the pastoring, more and more I engage into the work of the pastor. It is by far the hardest job that I've ever done. I, I was a sales rep for many years. I owned my own business for 10 years. Um, I did a lot of different things growing up. And even as I, you know, have grown up, I've done a lot of different things that were pretty hard. It doesn't compare to the life of a pastor. And the wife of a pastor, it doesn't compare to what the pastors do. We signed up for it. Pastors did. So we can suck it up. We signed up for that. Our wives never signed up for it. But they have to go through the things that we go through and then some. Right? So guys, be nice to a pastor. Be nice to your pastor's wife. Consider their difficulties of life and the weight of that they have to carry on their shoulder. That's really, really difficult calling. But even beyond that, I remember even before I became a pastor as a lay leader of a church, whenever God asked me to do something that is significant, I always found out very difficult for them. It's hard. It often challenges me to alter my entire weekly schedule. Uh, sometimes it requires me to be in, get, to get involved in a, such a, a heavy physical work. It has me to do a lot of things that I don't want to do. God's calling is not restful by no means. One of the biggest things why God's calling for us is so difficult is because it requires our action outside of our daily and weekly routine of life. Oftentimes, the action that we do not want to take. 
And biblically speaking, theologically speaking, when God says to take up his yoke, he's talking about evangelism. He's talking about sharing the word of God. He's talking about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of his God's ministry, all Jesus' ministry, right, revolved around that. We see him healing the sick people. He's like driving out the, the demon possessed people, you know, driving out the evil spirit out of the demon possessed people. We see him actually multiplying food to feed thousands of people. We actually see him raising the, the people from the dead and everything. But then at the end of his ministries, all his focus and the highlight of his ministries is actually all about sharing the gospel, the good news. It's all about speaking of the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he batoned over that his calling that he had on earth, that he's completed so that he created the path for us to be eternally alive with the Lord in heaven, he baton that over to the church. So when the Christians after Jesus take up on the baton after Jesus, what we're called to do is to share. How easy of a job is that? It's really not that easy of a job. Pastor J.D. Greer said that over 90% of Christians in America never share gospel with anyone outside of their family. So less than 10% of people who we tell ourselves that we're Christians actually share the gospel with someone else other than our family. It is not only just the heavily laden, but it actually is pretty scary to all of us too. When I speak to people, to people about encouraging them to try to share the gospel, a lot of people say, anything but that is the response that I get a lot. Anything. I'll, I'll do anything you want me to do for the church, but, but that. I, I just can't open up a conversation about Christ. But you know what? When Jesus ascended back to heaven, right? His plan A was to use us as his vehicle to spread the word of God and the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And he never made a plan B. There's no other way. Only vehicle God chose to share the love of Christ, to teach about the existence of the kingdom of heaven and eternal life and eternal damnation was us. We are the believers. We are his plan A and there is no plan. As a matter of fact, that was the only thing that Jesus commanded us to do before he went out back up to heaven. So when I saw that, when I tried to meditate upon that word, I mean, 
He dawned at me many times when I tried to do that by saying, He will give me rest for right after he says, but they, but you rest, but take up my yoke. And then you have to question, well, how does that work? Right? How does that work? Just to think about going, engaging into this gospel, you know, engagement, to think about talking to the random people that I don't know about, about Christ, kind of puts me out of fear, right? But he doesn't end there, thankfully. He continues to speak to encourage us. He says in verse 29 and 30, Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest, uh, you'll, uh, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When Jesus says to rest, he's actually talking about Resting our soul. And this is something that it was actually very difficult for me to grasp uh, when I was still a lay leader. Um, I witnessed, I think, a good amount, but I don't think I did a good amount enough to actually know it. But he's basically saying that through your taking up the yoke, and then through you living your life missionally, and through you actually becoming a vehicle to share the gospel to the people, you'll find your rest in yourself. And he will say that, hey, and I'm not leaving you there alone. He'll say, I will gently teach you, and I will gently guide you every step of the way. Here, this is my word of encouragement on top of that to you guys. Guys, when I try to teach people about witnessing, right, about evangelism, which means witnessing, um, many people somehow jump into thinking that evangelism and, and witnessing involves me having to convince someone else to believe in Jesus. Like I need to talk to someone, win over arguments, and make this person believe in God. But that's false understanding. In book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he said to be a witness. He didn't tell us to be the salesperson. He doesn't tell us be the persuader. Be the one to change other people's mind. As a matter of fact, he said don't get into a quarrel. Don't get into like meaningless fight. But he says to simply be my witness. Sharing who God is to you is up to you. We have to do it. Like how we talked about yesterday, we have to be so close to God in our personal relationship that Jesus has to be just such an intimate and such a thankful person in my life so that whenever I encounter people, I have something to share with them, right? But then it's not my job to convince anyone. It's not your job to try to convince anyone that God exists, Jesus died for them. You don't have to do that. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Even the disciples of Jesus Christ never got it until the Holy Spirit came. Jesus said, once I'm gone, don't do anything 
and just pray and wait until the Holy Spirit comes, right? And they didn't actually understand to a point where Jesus went up to heaven and they just looked up to the sky and they're like, what, what, what happened? They were just standing there like dumbfounded and thinking like, what in the world just happened is what they were doing. So the angels came back down and said, what are you guys staring at? What they told them. Until the Holy Spirit came down and ministered to them. When he did it, everything made sense. Bringing people to Christ, having them believe in Jesus is not your job. Witnessing it. Jesus you find in your life, Jesus you find in the word of God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, God who will bring down, or Jesus who will come back down to bring us back to his heaven, that's what you ought to share. Because that's the truth to you. And leave the rest to the Holy Spirit. When Jesus preached, most of the big preaching, I think most of it, Jesus would say, you know, say this like amazing thing that's really hard to understand. And toward the end, the very end of it, he say, like those of you who have ears to hear, you get it, great. You don't get it, well, too bad. And he just walked away. He never went after people and tried to convince them. He just preached, and he said, "You get it, awesome. You don't get it, well, too bad." And he just walked away. Our gospel is not so cheap that we have to try to sell it cheap, going after people, try to like talk over and over again. Would you please come? To... It's not cheap like that. It is a precious gift that is worth Zacchaeus to sell everything he's got to receive. All we need to do is witness. During my seminary years, um, I had to do Uber for a couple of years. Right? I still take some classes. Um, and then my wife was with my son. Uh, he was still a baby and an infant. So I needed to go, you know, do a couple part-time jobs each week to make some money to make our, I guess, ends meet each month. So I did some Uber and then actually taught some martial arts at one of my friend's school. Um, and during my Uber time, this is something I learned. Um, it's the greatest evangelical opportunity that I could ever find in my life. I think I witnessed more in a day when I was Ubering than like any other given month in my life prior, prior to that. And when you actually open a conversation in a, in a subtle way, tactical way, when you break up off a conversation about God, Existence of God, God being the, the, the author of the creation of all things. And when you t- start talking about the love of Jesus Christ and Him being the way that who brings you the salvation or whatnot, when you do it in a very subtle way, you find out that people really welcome that conversation. You guys know? People love talking about it. People love talking about their perspective of Christ. People love talking about their perspective of eternal life. The people love talking about the, the whole the debate between the creation versus, you know, the, the uh, creation versus the, the evolution. People love talking about it. 
I've never seen one person who rejects the conversation. As a matter of fact, I actually has quite a good amount of people that actually got to pray for them. For the people who will share some of the, the difficult time of their lives, I have never met one person who will say, hey, before you go, can I, can I keep you in my prayer? Can I pray for you? I've never seen one person who says no. They actually loved it. They say, well, thank you. There were people who actually had a many, many pain in their lives from the church and they abandoned the church. And one that I still remember so, so well is that he was a scientist. He was a professor at Duke. Uh, who was doing a, I don't even, I forget even what he was teaching. It was about studying the life in the ocean. We start, began, we began things talking about like the whales. Then I asked him, hey, do you think they all came to life by chance? That was my talking point. Is that, is that scientifically more provable? Or is creation more possible? That's how I began the conversation. But at the end of the conversation, he told me that he was once a, a spirit, like the praise leader of a youth group at a church. But his pastor of a church at the time gave a wrong advice to his wife, his, his mom, and his mom divorced his dad. The pastor encouraged his mom to divorce his dad. And then his family was, you know, broken. And then he has such a big bitterness in his heart for the church, he began hating the church. And my response was, hey, on the behalf of all the spiritual leaders of, of, of this, this country, I would like to say that I'm sorry. I just told them that. I, I'm really sorry. I know I have nothing to do with it. But on the behalf of a pastor, that was the wrong thing for him to do. And that was the wrong thing for him to hurt your family like that. I, I'm really sorry. And then I said, can I, before you leave my car, can I pray for you? And then he, he, Gladly received the prayer. And I walked up to say, you know, you have bad experience in the church. I, I get that. But there are many good churches in this area. There are many pastors that I know that I can trust. Can I refer you one? Because I wasn't really serving at a church at the time. But can I refer you to go to one? I actually sent him to J.D. Greer's church. And he said, like, sure, where, where can I go? And I said, you should try some church. And I said, thank you. As we, somehow devil wants us to think that the gospel talking point is something that people hate to be engaged into. But the truth is, not. You know, people diagnose Christian or not, people actually are saying that in today's world, people are more spiritually hungry than ever before. Uh, several years back, I even even you know heard a, a Christian radio where they said that in in in, in the, I think it was throughout in America where 
in psychiatrist um, field, they allowed the doctors to prescribe or write a prescription for demon possession. Because they just saw way too many cases. And they couldn't deny it anymore. I don't know what you prescribe for, for that. I don't know what kind of pill exists for demon possession. With the, the technological advancement that we have, we somehow think that, that we are actually living in a world where people just think that, you know, the spiritual thing is so far away from that. The truth is not really. People are spiritually hungry. And they want to talk about the truth. They want to know more about God. Evolution and creation discussion. I had that discussion with a lot of scientists. A lot of them welcome it. As long as you don't become super aggressive at it. As long as you don't say, you are just wrong and I'm right. Or as long as you don't say that. They welcome that. Evangelism is a calling that all believers receive. And as a matter of fact, if your relationship with the right, the, the Lord is, is, is such a, an intimate level, I don't have to tell you to evangelize. You're already doing it. People that I know, and I, I received this comment before I went to seminary too, where, you know, my good friends will say that, hey, is that, is there anything else you would like to talk about other than God? And I'll say, I don't talk about God like that. I say, that's all you talk about. And I don't know that I'm talking like that. If God becomes the true Lord over your life in every bit of everything that you do and everything that you value in your life, maybe you don't know it, but you are talking about God. Evangelism is not a, a method where you're needing step one to ten in guiding people into coming out to church. As a matter of fact, evangelism has not much to do with talking about people to come to my church. Somehow evangelism is talked about in the church a lot about how I make the number bigger by bringing people into the presence of the church. That's not that at all. Evangelism is all about how you share Christ. How you share God. Evangelism is all about bringing people to salvation. Guys, you guys have somebody in your life, whether it is your parents or someone else who have reached out to you and who share the gospel to you that you are saved. So while we were drowning in the sea of death, the eternal death, someone came to us and tossed us the tube, the life tube out of us. We received that life tube and we were pulled up and now we're saved. And guess what? The life tip that you are saved by, now that's in your hand. It's your turn to talk about it. It's your turn to save someone else. Your mission of life connects to this. Actually, your Christian life is centered around this. We don't like talking about it. Pastors don't like talking about it. Because members don't like it. 
But you look through the scripture, look through anywhere in the New Testament, and then see what Jesus wants to tell you. He will tell you to be the salt and the light. He will tell you to be the one to share the good news. Don't push that anything away from you. Don't procrastinate that this outbreak right now. Because whenever I did that, that tremendous amount of witnessing every day through my Ubering and outside of Ubering, what I found is that though my body was tired, though it was not an easy task and restful at all, but my soul was well. There's no greater miracle that you can ever witness in this life than seeing someone finding Jesus. It beats Jesus raising the dead from, uh, you know, uh, someone from dead. It beats Jesus actually feeding 5,000. It beats Jesus actually going and actually, you know, healing people that are sick. It beats all the miracle. The biggest miracle is seeing someone accepting, accepting the Christ and then accepting the gospel and they And when we join God's ministry, when we join God's calling, you get to be the first person vehicle for that. Like I said, when God calls you to join his ministry, it's for our God. And your soul will find it rest. You will actually receive more joy than anything. I hope that encourages you as you guys are engaging into the new turn of your 11th year of, of, of church ministry. I hope that it stirs up your heart. I hope it brings up some names in your mind. And I hope that you take courage to take one step forward and letting Jesus come back. Because that's why we exist this way, is to know Christ and to make Him known. That's why we are here. And invite that into your personal life. And your personal life becomes your blessing spot. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. It, it is always hard to teach it. It's hard to sometimes swallow it. But Lord God, your calling for us is to be the witness for you. Your calling for us is to be the salt and the light of the world, wherever that you called us to be. It is not that you want to just send us to the mission world, mission field in the, in the third world country and have us be the salt and the light there. It is where you sent us today where you called us to be the salt and the light. Our mission field is not really in the third world country. Our mission field is our daily lives today. I pray, Lord Father, that all of us may be able to find that rest in our soul for our obedience to take up your yoke and to become the vehicle to carry on and hand over the baton of the gospel truth someone else. Pray the Lord Father, if there's a name that, that's popping up in our mind, that we will devote our hearts to reach out to them. 
and share your goodness so that the salvation that we receive may become theirs. Continue to just minister to us. Or Father, if there was anything that was meaningful for, for, for you to use me to speak to us, I pray, Lord Father, that you would use the Holy Spirit to just kind of continuously echo that in our hearts and continuously to, to minister to us throughout the week so that we may be able to trans be transformed by the power of your God. We thank you, God, and your Son, in Jesus' praise. Thank you.